This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Mary, how are you doing today? Doing well. I am. It, it's We're a little out, but I have some time to think about it. Halloween costumes for the dogs. And I have five characters I need to get in. I'm thinking Mario. Mario, Luigi, Toad, a banana, a turtle shell. I don't know. I think that's perfect. You've got the... <laughs> I just n- nailed it. <laughs> and I would think the chaos with five dogs at once would actually <laughs> look like Mario Kart out there. So that's that's actually a very good uh, costume idea. I like it. If anyone else has any ideas, please send them my way. Yes. It's going to be an yes. expensive Halloween. <laughs> we we want any and all recommendations, but you got to get ahead of it. You're, you're at least... You're planning at the right time yes, because yes. You've, you've given yourself a little bit of leeway here. <laughs> well, we've got a, a very interesting topic lined up for today. And I think we've all been in a position where, you know, we go to see the doctor and we think, you know, I, I, I need to ask about this. Or, you know, I, I you make a list of things you want to bring up. And then the doctor asks you, well, do you have any questions? And then you no, or you forget it all. And so mm-hmm. um, we've got a great show lined up about questions that as uh, healthcare providers, we wish caregivers would ask. And to help us with this perspective, we're bringing back, I'm giving her official friend of the show status. We've got Tara Moore here with us. (laughs) Tara is a hospice home social worker with Transitions Life Care. Tara, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So Tara, for those of, uh, of our listeners who maybe haven't listened to you on the show before, and by the way, you should just go back and listen to that show because it was really good. Um, but give us a little background about yourself, your role, and what you do at Transitions before we dive in. So my name is Tara Moore. I'm the hospice home social worker. So I work in the inpatient unit, hospice home of Transitions Life Care. I'm a Carolina alum. I got my master's there. We, we are friends despite the NC State Carolina <laughs> status here. Um, I've been a social worker for, I don't know, 12 or 13 years now, and we're, we're doing it. And this list we're going to talk about on the show, we're going to talk about all the caregiver questions that we wish you would ask. Tell us how you compiled the list. You worked with some other people, right, yes. to come, oh, out, come up with this. I am not the brains behind the operation. <laughs> I like to think I'm not the personality true. hire. Um, <laughs> so I asked doctors, nurses, other social workers, our chaplain, and just kind of, you know, what do we wish people would talk about before they came into hospice or as they come into hospice? And what kind of questions do they we wish they would talk amongst themselves and their family, but then also ask us as their healthcare providers? You know, no, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Mm-hmm. I stand by that. Um, and I think giving people a jumping pad is really helpful. I think you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And there's a lot out there that, and especially in a time of like emergency, if you're at the hospital yeah, or panicking. at the hospice home, you are totally panicking. You are emotional, probably. There's a lot of um, emotion weighed into these decisions. And I think it's important to kind of start thinking about things sooner rather than later. And I think these are all questions that you should talk about before you have a terminal diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Like these are questions that we should talk about when everyone is young and healthy and of sound and happy minds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So the first one on your list is is interesting. I, I had this conversation with my dad, who Tara knows my dad very well. I love but Tara him. helped uh, my family with my grandfather. Um, and became very close with my family. Um, but this one I love because my dad and I have just finished talking about it and he set up all of his stuff. But we already have a will and power of attorney. Do we need any other documents? I, I'm sure that you deal with this one all the time and maybe sometimes too late in the game. Absolutely. So I think a will is really important, right? Power of attorney, the durable power of attorney, super important. If we're talking about end of life care and like someone making your decisions when you cannot, not if, it's mm-hmm. when, right? Um, it needs to be a healthcare power of attorney. That mm-hmm. healthcare power of attorney is like a four-page document you can print off of Google. You just need a notary to sign it. And then you're choosing somebody to make your healthcare decisions when you cannot make them yourself. And then when they come into play, when we're using them, is when you are incapacitated or your loved one is incapacitated. And then we're looking at healthcare power of attorney. That's interesting. So all you need to do with that document is have it notarized and then it's valid in this state. It's valid. And then it's up to kind of your healthcare team of when it becomes most appropriately used, right? So if you can no longer make your needs known, if you um, are unresponsive, Mm -hmm. if you, you know, your dementia is in a place where you can't, you know, make sound decisions, Mm -hmm. that's when we're going to pull that healthcare power of attorney. Sometimes we hear about this document called the five wishes too, and that's maybe an easier way to do some of this. It is. The five wishes is a really great uh, paper as well. It also needs to be notarized. Um, and we, it's a, it's a document that kind of guides, like it answers the question, it asks the questions and you're answering, you know, what do you want when you, as you get closer to the end of life, do you want liquids and fluids and, you know, do you want a DNR, you know, all these things. And it, it kind of guides the conversation in a much gentler format than a mm-hmm. healthcare power attorney. Both can be used and both are important. I think that there's you have seen this happen where you probably have a patient or a family that comes to the hospice home and at this point it's too late. We don't have a healthcare power attorney. How then what? Yeah, so that's like the worst conversations to have with families. <laughs> um, in North Carolina, we have what's called the North Carolina decision making order. It's a triangle. Um, we're really looking at the top of that. If the patient can make their own decisions, mm-hmm. let's do it. You've got this, right? If Then if you can't, we're looking at a healthcare power of attorney. Then we're looking at a general guardian. If we kind of move all the way through, mm-hmm. then it becomes the spouse, right? We're looking at next of kin. If the spouse has already passed or there is no spouse in the picture, then we're looking at adult children mm-hmm. and it's majority rules. So when somebody comes in and they say, I've got 12 children, I'm like counting in my head. I'm like, or 13, I'm like, what is a majority? Like, can I get, you know, seven of these kids on board for hospice care? Um, And that's hard, right? I can't imagine the conversations you have around that. Um, Me either. (laughs) (laughs) Me either. But it's it's really important to like have your kids on board with this and have Mm -hmm. the people in your family. If we, if you don't have a child then we're looking to your siblings, right? Who's who's making your decisions? Mm-hmm. You, you, this should be a conversation that you have well before you are sick. Mm-hmm. You know, I know who makes my decisions. I think I've mentioned this last time. Like, I am not my parents' healthcare power of attorney, and that eats me up. Mm-hmm. But my brother is probably the clearer-headed of the two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, so he would be the person if we needed it. Mm-hmm. I think that's also a really good point you make. It always it doesn't always have to be a family member either. Right. I think that my family might be too emotional sometimes. Shout out, sorry. Um, sorry but I and I haven't done my. I sh- I'm going to take this. I'm going to figure this out. No, I don't. I know. And it's I'm a even Google in the industry. I know. I know. I know. We'll find a lot of later. Yeah. Um, but I think that maybe it should be a friend because it might be easier for a friend to be able to make these kinds of decisions Absolutely. sometimes than your yeah. own family who love you very much. Yeah. Um, all right. So we've got all that figured out. The legalese. The legalese. I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> maybe we should have started there. Don't trust us with law. I know. Um, you, we also hear sometimes, is it too soon for hospice? I'm not giving, I don't want to give up. Is it too soon? Is it too soon? Is it too, so that's a really great question. And I think in order to come onto hospice, right, two doctors have to look at you and look at your needs and look at your medical information and say, yeah, you got six months or less. Mm -hmm. So the, but I think a better kind of measure for that is, am I still living my best life? Mm Mm-hmm. When we look at your days, are they good days, good quality days? Are we enjoying our days? Are we living the life that we want to live? You know, are you in constant pain, constant anxiety? Are you nauseous all the time? You know, we have medications that we can use to help prolong your life Mm -hmm. because you stay more comfortable. And I think there's no harm in having an assessment. Mm -hmm. There's no harm in having these conversations, you know, especially when you get a pretty hefty diagnosis like a Mm -hmm. terminal cancer. How many times, honestly, have you seen someone come on to hospice, quote, too soon? Never. Uh, never. There is no such thing as too soon. You see a lot of too late. I, we do see because I want to love you and care for you mm-hmm. for several days or several months before the end of your life. I want to get to know your family. I want to talk about mm-hmm. you know who you are as a person and, and kind of what mark are you leaving on the world. Mm-hmm. And I can't do that if you come on to hospice and then you pass really fast. Yeah, I think that that was a really important thing in my grandfather's care is you got to know him oh, yeah. before he was not able to to make decisions and and yeah. be able to speak and so you knew exactly what he wanted in his last days of absolutely. life absolutely yeah. and what he didn't want <laughs> which was a lot more <laughs> we've got tara moore here in the studio tara is a hospice home social worker with transitions life care and we are going through questions that we wish caregivers would ask of social workers and other hospice care providers. So we're going to continue our conversation with Tara right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, our guest in the studio with us back again, is Tara Moore. Tara is a hospice home social worker with Transitions Life Care, and today we're going over questions that we wish caregivers would ask. This is from the perspective of Tara and the social worker crew there, and also just from uh, a hospice provider perspective as well. And Mary, so far we've gone over some legal documents. We've gone over timing, how soon is too soon, and we've 
basically answered that uh, it's it's never too soon. Um, yeah. Uh, so we're let's let's get back to the list here. Yeah, I think uh, you know you're introducing Tara again, and it it sparks something in my head. Who's on the care team? And mm-hmm. because I don't think that maybe a caregiver knows all of the support that comes yeah. in with hospice, and who is on the team. Like there's things that you talk about. Some you know you hear someone struggling with a placement question. You're like, well, you do you can have help with that mm-hmm. under hospice. So talk to us a little bit about. Who is on a care team? Yep. So when you have hospice in your home, you have your social worker, your nurse, you might have a nurse practitioner, you might have, you will have a doctor, Um, you'll have CNAs if you need help with, we call them nursing assistants. We have chaplains available. But more importantly, we also have a volunteer coordinator. They're really more behind the scenes. You might never know Mm -hmm. their name. Um, And then you've got volunteers. So we've got pet therapy. So Waylon might come to visit, right? We also have volunteers that bring meals and uh, we've got volunteers that offer people to sit with you and play games. We have massage therapy, Reiki. We bring a lot of people to your home to be supportive, but a lot of the people that make it work, you don't see. So Mm -hmm. just ask if you've got a thought, a dream, a wish, we just ask the question. We can probably make it happen. I also want to talk about the timing of some of the care teams. So right out of the gate, when you get admitted to hospice, you have a nurse visiting you, you get the CNA set up, and then the social worker reaches out. And a lot of people in that moment are thinking, I don't need a social worker. This is a lot of people. I'm coming from my own experience here. Like when, when my grandfather was admitted to hospice, it was just all at once in your face. And it's like a whole bunch of... Uh, you know, people coming in and out for the first week Mm -hmm. and introducing themselves. And it seems overwhelming. We are super overwhelming in the best way possible. (laughs) And I tell people I'm the nosiest person that you'll meet in our building. And it's, it's like, I live up to that. And the social worker's job really is to get to know you, your loved one, your family, you know, what works for you guys? What needs do you have? Is there anything your loved one wants to accomplish before they pass? Mm -hmm. You know, how do we make sure that your loved one's wants and needs really are staying as high on the totem pole as possible mm-hmm. and kind of I'm going to help you like work through some of that drama mm-hmm. that we're all mm-hmm. and some of that grief and some of that that worry to make sure that you know your grandfather's needs are the most important right and I think that there, I, I see time and time again people actually declining that first social work visit and declining social work and being like, oh, I don't need that right, right now and I can't you know, reiterate enough that it is a very valuable thing. Just try the first visit and you don't right. have to ever have them come back if you don't want to after that. But right. it is worth it to sit down with a social worker at the beginning of this. And journey. if they're not the right fit, you can ask mm-hmm. for another one, right? Mm-hmm. Like social workers, I think are a super valuable and underutilized service mm-hmm. in the whole world. I think everybody mm-hmm. needs a social worker. Definitely. So, Caregiver burnout. This might not be a technical question that you wish caregivers would ask. um, What does burnout look like? But but I do think that people should ask. Yeah. How do I get relief? What support is there? And I think that's why your social worker is really important. I mean, (laughs) another like plug, right? Is that your social worker can say, "Hey, listen, this has been a really, really hard go of it." Let's talk about some respite. Let's talk about some help. When you are burned out, you know, you are at that point where you're like, I can't do this one more time. I can't get up. I can't, I can't do these more meds. I can't, I can't make one more bowl of oatmeal. You're like, you're just like, you're tired on the inside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, no nap, no spa day mm-hmm. is going to make you feel like you are back to where you were. Mm-hmm. I think when we think about burnout, we really need to think about ourselves as a battery. So when I wake up in the morning, 
hopefully I'm at 100% charged, right? Throughout the day, I'm giving pieces of my charging mm-hmm. to other people, mm-hmm. to other activities. And then as you get more burned out, you're waking up at more, maybe more of a 70% you're charged. Mm-hmm. So you're waking up a little less charged every single day. Which means myself, when I'm getting burned out, right, I'm quicker to temper. Mm-hmm. I'm a little feistier. I don't sleep very well. I'm probably eating like trash. And I don't want, I'm not very friendly. Mm-hmm. So reaching out and saying, I really, I just need some help. You know, can we get some respite? I heard there was a, a Medicare benefit with my hospice benefit for a respite break. I'd love to get that on the calendar. What is it? It's a five day. Hold on, it's a six day, five night stay, and it's a respite. You can do it at the hospice home, but we do have a very long wait list. So, um, and or other like nursing facilities. Mm-hmm. I say to families, when I was doing admissions in the field, um, as soon as you come onto service, let's get that respite on the calendar. Mm. I think it's just smart. You've got something to look forward to. If you know you have a vacation coming up, you want to make sure your loved one is cared for and you know well taken care of. You know, get that respite on the calendar. How do you recognize as a social worker, because I know that you are interacting with so many people, how do you recognize burnout? And also, how do you approach somebody about, I think you need a break. I think you're maybe burnt out. So I'm pretty direct, right? So as a, <laughs> as a human being, I, I really thrive in the like. You said it, not me. I said it. And I would, and I, I stand by it. I have no problem saying to somebody, this is a lot. Your loved one's needs are a lot. Anybody in your situation would need a break. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we feel about that? And a lot of times people say, well, no one can give the kind of care I can. And I'm like, come to the hospice home. <laughs> come, come take a little gander. Let's email tours mm-hmm. and, and see what we can get set up, right? But it also could be, let's get a volunteer in here for an afternoon so you can go play bingo. Mm-hmm. Or you can go walk the dog at the lake or, you know, whatever kind of brings you joy and fills your cup. Let's let's try to make that happen more consistently because one day of bingo or one day of walking is not going to make any of us better. Right. I think and when I started volunteering at Transitions long before I worked there, um, I was a volunteer, a family support volunteer, and I was assigned to a home, assigned to a patient. And every week I went so that the husband could go do his grocery shopping and yep. go to the gym and play some sort of racket. Yeah. Pickleball sport, or something. Pickleball. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. Um, but I just, I sat there and was a presence and his wife was not responsive really. Um, yeah. but I was just a presence so that he could feel comfortable leaving Absolutely. and not leave her alone. Absolutely. Um, and I, he came back always with McDonald's and like he, he was always very happy when he came back. And I think it was a much needed break. Self care, right. And preventing caregiver burnout is a practice, mm-hmm. not an event. And also, it's not that he didn't have children that weren't helping. It was he didn't want them to have to worry about it. He didn't want Mm -hmm. anyone to have to worry about it. So it was just a genuine break for everybody. Absolutely. Because you are a tribe. You you are, yeah. You get by with a little help from everybody. Absolutely. So along the lines of caregiving, next question here. My loved one wants to die at home. I don't think that I can keep them at home. They just have too much going on. Yep. How often do you hear that? All the time. I think that's probably one of the biggest things I hear is that, you know, so-and-so, my grandmother, my mother really wanted to die at home, but, you know, she was up every, she was up every hour. She was, you know, super uncomfortable. She was crying out in pain. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. And my first thing is you are absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You cannot do this. Her needs are too great. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the hospice home is here for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, The hospice home is a place where you get kind of that hospital level care, that general inpatient care. So we are talking about meds that are um, injectable. You know, we're talking about um, maybe an IV, you know, catheters are used. Like it's really hospital level care in the community. And the goal is, you know, comfort until the end of life. Mm -hmm. We can try to get you comfortable to get you back home. But sometimes, a lot of times, that's not really possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then we're talking about end of life at the hospice home. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard. I think there's a lot of guilt in this idea of um, leaving home to die and dying somewhere else when, like, I should be your caregiver. Mm-hmm. But the I tell everyone, like, your end is coming. Mm-hmm. Like, we're all going to die. The question is, do you want to die comfortably, you know, in a place maybe that's not home? Or do you want to die maybe more unmanaged mm-hmm. in the home setting? We have options. That's a good point. We all kind of have these visions of how things will end, and sometimes we've, we need to take a detour or go in a different direction. It really just depends on the situation. We've got Tara Moore here in the studio with us. Tara is a hospice home social worker with Transitions Life Care, and we are going over the questions that uh, so the care team and uh, hospice health workers wish caregivers would ask. We've gone over a lot so far, and this is a great list, and hopefully it's very helpful for those listening because anytime you're in a caregiving situation, usually it's pretty overwhelming, and uh, sitting down to think about these questions is something that often we're not afforded. So we hope you're enjoying this show. We've got more questions that we're going to go over with Tara right after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, our guest in the studio today. We've got Tara Moore back with us again. Tara is a hospice home social worker with Transitions Life Care, and we are going over questions that caregivers should be asking and questions that care providers wish caregivers would ask. We've gone over quite a number of things so far. We've still got a bit to get to. We've gone over legal documents. We've gone over timing, uh, caregiving team, burnout, uh, citing when to stay at home, when not to. If you've missed anything so far and you want to go back and listen, you can go to WPTF.com, click on the podcast button. From there, you can find Aging Matters and find this show as well as past shows as well. All right, Mary, let's let's get back to our list here. Absolutely. I think this question is interesting. As we prepare for my loved one's end of life, what should I be doing? What should I be asking? Yeah. I think that this is an awkward question. Super awkward. And, and that's why not, the people aren't asking it. This was not my question. It. Yeah. So shout out to Melissa, one of our <laughs> amazing field social workers. This was all her brainchild. And I can see Melissa having this conversation beautifully. Really? I don't think I could. <laughs> um, so yeah, so 
I think one of the hardest things is like, you know, do you want people around you mm-hmm. as we get near the end of life? Because some people don't. Some people don't. And I think a lot of people say, well, you know, my mother wouldn't want everyone to see her like this, or my father wouldn't want everyone to see him like this. And and those are questions to have sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want everybody around me. Mm-hmm. You know, if you didn't hang out with me when I was at my peak, you're not coming to me. <laughs> to see me of, like this. To yeah. see me at the end of my life. No. Are there like noises, sounds? Do you want music playing? Do you want hymns playing? Do you want nature sounds? You know, do you want the door open? Do you Mm -hmm. want the door closed? Do you want socks on? Do you want socks off? Um, You know, are there smells? Do you want flowers in the room? No flowers in the room. That's an interesting thing too, the flowers thing, because I think there are some people, and I've heard this, but I I love flowers, but there are some people that associate the smell of flowers with funerals. Funerals, yep. And I feel that way about lilies. And I that's the thing. I yep. loved lilies until I started working in the hospice home. Did we stop taking lilies? Have we? I feel like at one point we tried to move the lilies to uh, to different locations. Yeah, we tried, yeah. and but I think too, you know. Some people make the hospice home room a room, like a mm-hmm, home. Mm-hmm. They bring a blanket. They bring pictures. You know, what What do you want around you? Do you want your pets to come visit you? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important question. Like, bring your vaccination records and bring your pets. Mm-hmm. We have lots of dogs. We had a cat walk in one time on a leash. And he was, it was like November-ish. And he had a little sweater on that said, I still live with my parents. <gasps> and all I could think was it's like, so I wouldn't want my cats here, right? You know. Right. So who do you want around you? What do you want? What do you want the, the feel to be? You know, it, have those conversations before we get there. Yes. And I think that that's important as a caregiver and a loved one to be able to know that in case someone's not be able to make those decisions, because sometimes you aren't able to speak, but you can still hear, Absolutely. smell, yeah. you still know what's around yep. you. And your loved one is going to give you the death that they want you to have, not mm-hmm. the one that you need or that you think you want. And so having these conversations really kind of puts in your perspective, like, you know, my mom wants quiet and she wants not a lot of people. Therefore, privacy is a gift. Mm-hmm. Let's give her some privacy. I'm going to throw you off here on a random question. I'm Please going to add do. Um, I, I, from personal experience with my grandmother, it came a time and she had Alzheimer's and at the end of life, it was very difficult for us and we didn't want her friends. And she, she was not aware of, you know, yeah, at this point, um, but she, we thought that she would not want her friends. And yeah. we, how do you as a caregiver, how do you suggest people have that conversation of when people are like, I'm, so I'm coming glad. to, I'm coming yes. to visit. And you're like, Oh, I don't know if you should. I don't know what to do there. Yeah, I will always be your bad guy. So like Mm. you can easily say the social worker said, Mm. you know, privacy is really important right now. Or, you know, mom would really do best with some quiet. Mm -hmm. Let me be your bad guy. Mm -hmm. That way you don't have to. I'm sure you deal with this a lot at the hospice home, which is even a more sensitive setting because you might be telling someone like literally you can't show up at the front door well we so we can't tell anybody they can't show up so if you really want to keep this private don't you know don't really advertise your business right um you know social media has a time and a place Mm -hmm. um but i think you know limiting visits we can do that we can limit the length of time someone's visiting because a lot of times too like if you are having seizures at the end of your life a lot of simulation might bring on a seizure and that's not what we want right So we can limit visitors. We can limit uh, the length of a visit. And you can tell them that your social worker said, you know, we're kind of done for the day. I love that. How does someone keep memory alive after they're gone? This is my favorite. This is kind of a sweet one. (laughs) Yeah, this is my. So I am obsessed with talking about legacy planning. I want to talk about this all the time. So legacy planning is this idea of how do you keep your loved one's memory alive, you know, after they're gone? 
So when I think about legacy planning, I really think about a, a younger parent who's passing or a younger a younger aunt, like somebody kind of younger in your life. Like mm-hmm. so this is, you know, before we're at the point of a hospice home. This is when you're kind of getting into hospice, getting settled, figuring out kind of what's next and how long, you know, you'll be with us. This is things like having pens engraved for at graduation for your kids, for your nieces and nephews, you know, things like that. Maybe cufflinks or a charm for a wedding day. Mm-hmm. Having like your thumbprint or a message that you you want to put in there engraved in there, uh, pre-writing your cards. So pre-writing cards oh, for like sweet. a graduation day mm-hmm. or a wedding day or, you know, um, the day that you have your first child. If you're going to have kids, the day you adopt, you buy your first house. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of think about those milestones that, you know, unfortunately you're going to miss. You know, how do we make sure that your presence is there when your presence is not physical? Mm. And then one of the sweetest ones I thought was like the um, idea of a Father's Day mug, like a happy Father's Day on your first Father's Day or Mother's Day and things like that from your parent. That's really sweet. I'm sure you you get to come up with these ideas all day long and, and be able to talk with families about what they want to leave behind. Absolutely. And I think but when you come to the hospice home, right, we're kind of past that point. We're talking about like, right. how do we remember our loved one? How do we remember my mom or my dad or my grandma, or my grandpa? And I think we do that with like you keep talking about it. Mm-hmm. So we, we talk about like, like these were Nanny's favorite flowers. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I know black eyed Susans were my Nanny's favorite flowers. So every time I see them, I'm like, that's Danny's favorite. Mm-hmm. So making like pop-ups favorite cookie, you know, this is mom's favorite meal. How do we keep them alive and keep it, you know, more lighthearted and not like a sob fest. I love that. And even like a recipe book, I think, yep. I think of like all the favorite foods and dinners yeah. and, and things Absolutely. that they used to cook. That would be sweet. Food is a love language. So how oh, do we yeah. remember people, you know, in a way that, you know, we're going to eat dinner anyway. We might as well, you know, on their birthday, have their favorite meal. I also want to talk about the grieving aspect of this. So, and especially with younger, um, I, I've, Sadly, I've, we've seen younger and younger people um, coming onto hospice, yeah. and it, it's a trend. It's it's being researched right now of yeah. why is the age declining. Yep. Um, but giving people and especially children a place to grieve, yep. um, I, I really love this idea. I think giving people and like when giving somebody some place to go to grieve that's not really a graveyard, like a cemetery, right? Because that. Like, no four-year-old, no five-year-old wants to go hang out in the cemetery, right? No. Um, or maybe they do. Whatever. Teach their own. <laughs> um, you know, but I think giving them a bush, like planting a tree and saying, like, this is where we remember grandma. But please pick a sturdy bush. Like, don't pick an ornamental bush <laughs> that you're replacing every year because this is North Carolina and we have a drought, right? Like, yeah. picking a sturdy bush and maybe a bench and kind of making, like, a garden around it. I love, there was, I, I've seen this, like, put your ashes in a tree situation, and I just want to put it out there that sometimes ashes don't make the best soil in trees. Um, oh. And I've read something online about um, people putting their ashes in a tree. There is a company that actually will contain your ashes in the roots of the right. tree instead of putting the ashes in the ground in with the, soil. the tree, right. um, which can really mess up the the pH balance. <laughs> don't That's don't so kill funny. the tree that you're planting. I think yeah. Have conversations <laughs> with your with your crematory, your funeral home about what yes. to do with ashes because there's also lots of laws around this in North Carolina, and no one wants to go to jail. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Yeah, that's the last thing that you want. So uh, do your due diligence ahead of time. We're speaking with Tara Moore. She's in the studio with us. Tara is a hospice home social worker with 
Transitions Life Care. We're going over questions that we wish caregivers would ask, and we've got more after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to go online to transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest in the studio is Tara Moore. Tara's a hospice home social worker with Transitions Life Care, and we're going over the questions that we wish caregivers would ask. Anytime you're on a caregiving journey, it is certainly overwhelming and trying. And uh, we've got a great list of questions here that we've gone over so far that would be very helpful for you to ask your care providers. And we've got one last segment here. So let's get back to the list. Yes. I love this question. I'm so glad you put it on there. And it could go two different ways. So we'll talk about it one way and then I'm going to shift a little bit and ask the other way. Um, My team says that I should go to the hospice home. Are they going to be there forever? Like, are we going home after this? I think that this is something we get in the hospital setting of someone has recommended the hospice home home and no one has heard of the hospice home or what's next. Right. So I think it could go either way, right? I think when you come to the hospice home, you are coming for symptom management. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that symptom management will lead to the end of your life, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have that terminal agitation. You are so, I I call it like this hummingbird effect. And somebody gave me this, and I don't know who they are, but if you did, I love you for it. (laughs) Um, Like when you are at the end of your life and your brain is so high strung, it's like a hummingbird in your brain, right? And the wings are just going, going, going. And we need a lot of medication to to kind of slow that down Mm -hmm. and to bring you comfort. And sometimes, most times, that medication that level of comfort will ease you into the end of your life. And I want to dig into that one just a little bit more. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the show. Uh, some people feel like that medication, I, and I've seen it recently in looking at a, a patient situation. Um, I don't want to give them any more of that because it's putting, it's making them sleepy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing that we we talk about literally every day. It's the medication is giving them the relief they need to rest. Right. Yes, there are sedating side effects. Right. But like I said earlier, the end is coming. Mm-hmm. Do you want to get there comfortably or do you want to get there, you know, agitated, pulling your clothes off, reaching for things that aren't there, hallucinating? I mean, mm-hmm. we have we have people who, you know, revert back to when they were younger and sometimes they were younger in a, st- a time of war. And so they are in pure panic. Like we need to medicate you to make sure that you're not terrorized mm-hmm. at the end of your life. Now, I want to do the flip side of this question because we also see this. I love that you're smirking. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I want to give a shout out to Warren at uh, House Creek Beverage who listens to the show every week. 
um, he talked to me that he he was like, you kind of giggle and laugh sometimes on the show about very serious topics. But I I do want to say that you have to sometimes. You have to laugh through it. I think Mm -hmm. a good sense of humor is what carries you through the hardest moments. We're all dying. It's true. And I can break a tense moment like it's my job. Like if if we yes, can't, can. like if everyone's crying, like I will make that really like off the cuff comment that breaks the crying. And everyone's like, thank God she was here. <laughs> yes. Sometimes I say that, I hope. Yes. All right. So back to yes. um, the flip question here is I'm going on to hospice. I'm going to move into the hospice home now. We've had people show up at our front door at the hospice home thinking they're moving in. Yeah, I think I live at the hospice home. Um, (laughs) But actually, nobody lives at the hospice home. I think only our staff feel that they live there. So when you come to the hospice home, you are really coming with a purpose. You're coming with a respite stay. You're coming with GIP, the general inpatient symptoms. We are not licensed as a long-term care facility. So when people do get, you know, kind of trapped in this cycle of like, oh, I need placement. I can't go back to where I came from. You know, it, it really kind of puts us in jeopardy sometimes. So we have to be really diligent. We also want to be really good stewards of our beds. There are a lot of people who need yes. us. Yes. Almost every day we have a wait list. And, you know, when we can't get people in there, there's people who don't get our care. And I happen to think that we give really great care. I live 10 minutes from their hospice home and I come to transitions every day. Like, we give phenomenal care. Yes, the best personal experience. Yep. Definitely the best. So someone has passed away, your loved one has passed away. I, I think that at that point, there are a lot of people who are in the state of, like, am I too sad? Like, I, right. and you know, I had this guilt, too. Um, and, you know, I remember when, when my people passed and we were at the hospice home, my dad, actually, no, I was not. My dad was, yep. had just gotten back to the hospice home and I had just stepped out to have a beer. Yep. Um, and I was m- less than a mile away, but I was just like, I just need a beer today. And so I was sitting And it there, wasn't 7 a.m. And it was not 7 right. a.m. <laughs> it was like 5 p.m. I think. Yep. Uh, three to four, maybe. Yeah. Um, and... I came back to my dad said, you need to come back. And I said, what happened? He said, just come back. And at that point, I knew what was going on. Um, And I got in the parking lot and I got to the front door. I didn't even make it to the front door. And my dad was standing outside and I just like collapsed. And there is this moment of grief. And to be honest, there was a little bit of relief in it. And it was a, a, I'm tearing up thinking about it. It was just like scream cry that I have never done before. And it was kind of uncontrollable, but it was relief and grief and but it was and sadness and sadness. anger yes. but also this like we're not doing this anymore right now what now what yep is this too am i too sad what do i do yep. now is this normal yep what's out there for me so i can move forward because it's yeah. crippling it is and i think grief is the heavy price that we pay for loving somebody right and grief i don't i do not think that like time heals all wounds i think your grief kind of Agreed. stays in your heart and your heart kind of regrows around it and like eventually just doesn't get as as hard to deal with and hard to swallow. So there's this idea and I don't think I talked about this last time, but if I did, I'll do it again. There's this idea in hospice called a compassionate wish. Hmm. And it's this idea that I don't want you to die. I don't want to live this world without you, but I don't want you to live like this. Hmm. So, you know, the end, the end of your life, your death is actually a relief because living in a bed unresponsive, you know, just kind of existing is not a life to live. So yes, grief can be paired really closely with relief. 
And I think when people know, like they're confident in their faith background, or they, you know, they have this idea, like, I know where I'm going, I know who I'm going to be with, like, my husband's on the other side, my, my mother and father are waiting for me. There's a relief for that person, too. Mm hmm. And there's no right way to grieve. We all grieve in our own way, but there's lots of wrong ways. Right. Lots of wrong ways to grieve. And if you find yourself in those wrong ways, you know, we have grief supports. We have an amazing program with us. We do groups. We do individual counseling. I think they're doing a grief walk every couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. With the art museum, I think, right? Yeah, we're really trying hard. Um, I think grief is like, it's like the best friend you never wanted to carry around. Mm-hmm. You never wanted this friend in your life. And now it's like tagged along with you everywhere Mm -hmm. and you can't get rid of it. Like you can't, you can't ditch it. That's absolutely right. And you know, grief is this, like we don't talk about it. I think enough. I think we just kind of like suffer in silence. Right. Right. And that's a problem. It is definitely a problem. Like I'm not, I don't want to talk about my grief. I want to talk about your grief. (laughs) (laughs) One last question as we wrap up. And I think this one's interesting. What do other people ask that are in my shoes, in my position? What am I missing? You should absolutely ask that question. So you should look at your care team, look at your doctor, your nurse, your social worker, whoever, and say, what do other people ask when they're sitting here? Or, you know, what, what, what would you be asking if this was your mom or your dad or your brother or your child? Mm -hmm. You know, what am I missing? Ask those questions. You know, I always say to families, if I were in your shoes, if this was my loved one, my parent, I would be asking X, Y, and Z. And that kind of opens the door to like harder conversations that we need to have that maybe we're putting off. It is a really valuable thing to think about. Yeah. Man, this has been such an awesome list of questions. Tara, thank you so much for coming in and for providing your perspective. It's always very helpful. And uh, I think anyone who's experienced a caregiving journey of their own, or maybe they're just starting one out, can all agree that uh, this is a very helpful list to have. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Again, Tara Moore, Hospice Home Social Worker with Transitions Life Care. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, you can find more online at transitionslifecare.org. Transitionslifecare.org. If you want to go back and listen to this episode, you can go to wptf.com, click on the podcast button from there, find Aging Matters. You can see this show as well as all of our other shows, and you can also get it wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's Aging Matters, and we're out of time for today. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a great day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.